Tom Woods Show, episode 1608. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Folks, if you enjoy the Tom Woods Show, it's time to go to the next level. And next level Tom Woods is libertyclassroom.com. This is where my friends and I teach all the stuff you did not get in your conventional education, history, economics, and more, the way it ought to be taught with all the content they left out or distorted. Check it out at libertyclassroom.com. Hey, everybody. Tom Woods here. Very glad to have Brett Vinat back on the show. Brett is the host of the School Sucks podcast. You can check him out at schoolsucksproject.com. He does a lot of really important work. A lot of interesting things we'll talk about today. He's got a brand new project that I want to highlight in particular today where he's going to look at things from, let's say, a more meta perspective because a lot of times he focuses on the problems with schooling. I mean, education is fine. It's the schooling process where we have our objections. And he'll talk about particular examples of things that go wrong, things that go right, examples of heroes, examples of villains, and all kinds of other topics. But from a more meta perspective, in his current project, he wants to look at not so much the the details of his subject matter, but more questions about, given that we believe very unorthodox things about education compared to most Americans who believe in the public school system, we better be really good at persuading them, you know, and that we're right because we are in such a minority. So what he's doing in this most recent project is looking at things like Once you have the knowledge that tells you there's something wrong with the system, how do you convey it to people? How do you become an effective communicator? Or likewise, how do you become a good researcher? How do you know you're really digging up truths rather than falsehoods? So these kinds of questions are occupying Brett's mind these days. And I thought, you know, we could stand to talk about things like that. So Brett, welcome to the show. Hey, Tom. It's great to be here again. All right. First of all, before we get into your big project here that I want to talk about, what you been up to? What are some topics you're covering over at School Sucks podcast? You know, I find even with a broad libertarian podcast, every now and again, I wonder, what should I talk about today? You have a much more focused one. How do you keep that fresh? Uh, you know, I have actually gone recently into doing more like serialized content, like bringing the same people back every month to do um common themes or or recurring themes, I should say. So I'm doing a series with uh, my friend, Nick Runlet, who is a Praxis graduate. And we do that every month where we bring in people who found whether it was Praxis or some other route around the traditional college path to tell their story, right? To kind of take that opt out of college idea out of the abstract and actually personalize it. So we just did our first one with uh, the guy who is actually the current Praxis CEO even though he graduated from the program years ago. Uh, I'm doing another series with um, my friend Jim Hood, who has this course called Test Drive Your Future. So we're also kind of keeping our ear to the street on the whole uh, college and career crisis that a lot of young people find themselves in and uh, offering plenty of suggestions on how to get around that. And then for my supporters, we do, you know, we do a history show, we do a film analysis show, we do a personal and professional development show. So a lot of things, I've established some predictability, which has actually helped me, you know, create content more regularly by, you know, having like serials. That's smart. That's actually smart. I mean, it actually reminds me, 
in some ways of the idea that I've had recently to do a week and devote it to one person's work, one person's area of expertise. I know. So, you know, Bob Murphy or whoever. I just had Bob uh, as uh, somebody doing a week like that. So that's that's one of the things I've been doing. I want to do more debates on the show. I mean, was that the first time you and I met in person? Was that that Yale debate? Or had we uh, met before? Uh, no, we met in 2012 or 2013 at the New Hampshire Liberty that, Forum. That's what it is. Yes, you're right. And I remember now. Yeah, the, the Liberty for that. It was 2013. Yeah, yep. I remember that now. Um, but I, I like doing more debates because on my show, I get people who are, you know, I, they're not always friends, but they're at least committed to rational discussion. And so the, the, nobody's shouting. I, mean, I used to have it super hardcore where I would have a timer for the opening statement and then I would time the, and then I realized, come on now, you know, <laughs> we're not seven years old. We can just have a civil conversation and it's worked out really well. So I, I want to do that. Um, I want to know also, what's the most common objection you get? I mean, you've got a podcast, it's called School Sucks. That's pretty in your face, not too subtle there. What's right. the most common objection you run into uh, either in your email inbox or when you're out on the road talking to people? You know, I have had so much trouble opening dialogue with, I mean, this, and this has not just been a feature of like recent years where the echo chamber walls have grown so much higher and it's hard to talk to people like right from the beginning. Um, I was trying to like reach out to public school teachers and say, let's have a discussion about this. I realized you know, that I almost immediately poisoned the well with the name of the show. So, I, you know, the best answer to your question is like the number of objections that I would hope come my way just haven't. But I would say in my private life, when I've talked about these things, it's it's got to be, you know, how will the children be educated, which I also think is kind of a coded <laughs> uh, a coded question that is like, what will my kids do while I'm at work all day? That's a big part of it. I know, of course, a lot of people organize their lives around the expectation they would raise their kids the way they were raised. And part of that means their kids are out of the house all day long. Mm -hmm. And so the idea that they wouldn't be involves a major life adjustment that a lot of people are not willing to make, you know, and even though you might be able to persuade them that it might be better, might be better for the, for the kids. There, there's so, geez, you know, I'm doing a project with a, I can't really give details. Let's just say there's a well-known person in our community and he and I are doing a big project together and a big part of it involves trying to demystify the whole public school system. I love it. And to take all, can you hear me? Yeah, I said, I love it. Without knowing anything about it, I love it. Oh, I thought you said hello. Like, I'm paranoid that my, because <laughs> my, <laughs> I've had connection problems lately. I thought that was what was going on. Yeah, and taking all the kinds of objections that we might have, whether it's, the effectiveness of it, the style, the, you know, the Prussian model, whatever it is, put it all together and just throw it out there and see what sticks. So, so I'd like to stay in contact with you and see what's, what's working. But it's interesting that your main issue is that you can't get people to engage in the first place. Uh, it has been. And it also comes down to like setting up a dichotomy. Like when you mentioned people expect their kids to be out of the house, like the choice is if they don't go to school, they're stuck in the house, which is one of the reasons why I've encouraged people to use like real world education 
or uh, you know self-directed education instead of homeschooling. Homeschooling kind of paints a picture of you know a bunch of kids just doing school trapped around the kitchen table of their house, and I don't think that's an accurate picture. The people I know who are home home educating or unschooling. They are, you know, so much more out in the world and connected to the world, like the adult world, the real world, than kids in school are. I mean, that's the other argument about, uh, you know, against home education is socialization, which I've always found. And I think you probably agree is a pretty weak argument. Right, right, right. Especially because when I think about, frankly, I mean, let's be blunt, some of the kids in these schools, is that the kind of person I would be socializing with in my ordinary day-to-day life? Of course not. As soon as I get out of that institution, I'll, I don't want to be within 100 yards of somebody like this. So this is not like rehearsal for the real world. This is the opposite of the real world. I'm going to be confining myself in places where I'm surrounded by people I loathe. Right. And in fact, I know I'm, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic here, but any federal prison meets the same criteria for the socialization argument as a public school does, right? A bunch of people trapped in a concrete building together and forced to interact. I mean, why that is considered, I mean, obviously people, I don't think they think too deeply about that, but that doesn't pass as any kind of healthy socialization. And as somebody who spent a lot of time in these buildings watching these interactions, and I also, you know, as a student, spent 15,000 hours and didn't enjoy the most positive social interactions during that time, it is not a good example of healthy real-world socialization by any stretch of the imagination. All right. I want to talk about some of the ideas then associated with a major, major project uh, you undertook not too long ago, and it became known as the Ideas Into Action Summit. Mm -hmm. And you took some of our people, like Michael Malice was part of this, Zach Slayback, whom I like very much, Steve Patterson, uh, you know, who have been guests on my uh, podcast, and a bunch of other people. And you took maybe what they're either what they're best known for, or what their best practical advice is, and you created a uh, program out of it. And and um, as I say, I was part of it also. What's it about? But what 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 was missing out there? What's the gap you're trying to fill? What what motivated you to? Because it's not an easy thing to do to launch this. Thing. Sure. Well, okay. Just to take a step back and, and look at the bigger picture, it was a, a personal and professional gap that I wanted to fill as well. So we talked about outreach problems and I have this brand called school sucks. You know, I live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This is a city very rich with, um, higher education, uh, settings and even some like really impressive and respectable ones like Carnegie Mellon university and Pitt. And there's lots of academics that I could be connecting with and, you know, probably even getting on the show. But one thing that always gets the door slammed in my face is, you know, having to hand people a business card with the word sucks in it. You know, it's not, super helpful all the time, uh, especially when it's challenging the institutions uh, these people are a part of. So for a long time, I had wanted to create another brand that would showcase the best aspects of what we've been doing as a podcast for 10 years. I don't want people to have to sort, like I could say, yeah, you know, we've done lots of great shows on topics in alternative education and personal development and critical thinking and intellectual self-defense. And all you have to do is go through hundreds and hundreds of podcast episodes and, and find it. I mean, we organize them by series, but it's still a lot to go through. So I said, I want to create a separate, you know, I mean, people in your audience are familiar with what Liberty Classroom is. 
I want to highlight and showcase the best work that I think we've done in a more accessible and digestible format. So the first run at an University Virtual Summit, that was what we called this new brand that we we formed last year, the University. So it's just the word university with a hyphen after un, uh, play on the word unschooling, of course. Um, I polled the audience. I said, what are you guys interested in? What's what's the best thing we've done? What do you want more of? And, and um, what I didn't ask initially was why did they want it? And everyone said, I want better research skills. And then the Tom Woods voice inside me said, why? <laughs> why do people want these? What do they want to do with them, right? They want to use them to some productive or some persuasive end. So we built the virtual summit kind of around this idea of not only gaining better information acquisition skills, but also information synthesis skills. And once you have those two things, you can be more effectively persuasive with your friends on Facebook, with issues around the election. Um, it doesn't mean necessarily, you know, owning people or wrecking people in arguments, even though that is, uh, you know, a side benefit of it. But I wanted to think about it more as connecting with people and actually making progress on some of these like really heavy issues and ideas that we have to move. You have to have pretty sturdy bridges to move them across, you know, like into the minds of other people. So that was what I wanted to do, to help people develop the self-assuredness in their research skills to be more effective persuaders of the ideas of liberty or the ideas of education, Austrian economics, whatever they are passionate about, I wanted to go to like my go-to guys. Like, you know, when I see something in the news, it's very common for me to go, what does Steve Patterson think about this? What does Michael Malice think about this? What does Tom Woods think about this? And and like go to your feeds to find out what you might be saying about it. So I thought, why not bring all those people together and, you know, organize the content around these three ideas of like better organizing your thoughts, effectively synthesizing information and being more persuasive. So uh, that was the outcome, the Ideas into Action Summit. I was really glad to take part in this because I don't get to talk about this kind of thing that much. I talk about, you know, uh, historical economic topics, but I don't talk about the more meta topic of how I talk about the topics or how I persuade people right. of different things or how I organize a presentation or how I, how I get command of a room, things like that. Yeah. I've never really talked about it. And to some degree, until I talked about these things with you, I'm not sure I ever really articulated it, even to myself in my own mind. It was implicit knowledge that was drawn out in the course of talking to you. So I wasn't, I mean, I knew I had some information that would be valuable, but I didn't think it would be as good as it was until we started talking and I realized what was in it. You know, in fact, it reminds me of on the Contra Cruise a couple years ago, uh, not the one you you joined us for, but 2017, we had Dave Smith, the comedian and podcaster on, mm -hmm. and I wanted him to do a little optional workshop on comedy itself, not on libertarianism, not on liberty and comedy, but just comedy. Like yep. What makes a good joke? You know, that that kind of thing. And he said, I don't really know anything about that. I mean, I just, I, it's all instinct. I don't, I don't really know anything about that. And then we had this hour session with him and all this knowledge is coming out of his head that I don't think he realized he had, or he just thought it's knowledge everybody has. But of course we don't have it. 
It's knowledge he's accumulated implicitly over the years as a comedian. And so to sit there and listen to it and also be thinking to myself, I told this SOB he had this knowledge, you know, doggone it. Why didn't he listen to me? Yep. That's really the, the the same kind of thing that you put together here. Like Michael Malice's presentation is not about uh, North Korea or the right wing or any of his normal topics. It's it's more uh, interesting I – mean, in some ways more interesting than that because it's so unexpected. Uh, so, so let's okay. Let's talk about Michael Malice after we take a quick break, folks. You ever get the idea that the Tom Woods Show is giving you too many good things? Like, for example, when I recommend so darn many fantastic books, how are you ever going to read them all? Answer: Blinkist works on your phone, your tablet, your web browser. Takes the best key takeaways, the need to know information from thousands of nonfiction books, and then condenses them down into just fifteen minutes that you can either read or listen to. I like it because if I drive half an hour to and from somewhere, I can in principle have consumed four books. What a time to be alive, am I right? I've read a whole bunch of books through Blinkist. Uh, for example, recently, The Virgin Way, Everything I Know About Leadership by Richard Branson. And then you can even find libertarian books like Capitalism and Freedom by Milton Friedman on there. So with Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books. All the books you want and all for one low price. Right now for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com woods, try it free for seven days, and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com woods to start your free seven-day trial. And you'll save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com woods. All right, I do want to talk about Michael Malice a little bit because my listeners are very familiar with him. He's been on many times. He and I have this famous debate we did in New York on the legacy of Alexander Hamilton. Yes. That was one of my favorite things ever. And I think he's very interesting, and I never know what to expect from him. What did you draw out of him? What was the idea behind having Michael Malice be part of it? You know, Michael Malice gave some really good advice to a friend of mine who actually works in the film business. And my friend credited Michael Malice with uh, – my friend has this amazing story and he's told it on my show before. His name is Thomas um, and he is a first assistant director. So he actually like works in Hollywood and he's done some like, uh, you know, really impressive films as the first assistant director, which is basically the person who, you know, sets up the production and makes it happen. Right. You, you think about the director yelling action, uh, but there's this kind of uh, – you know, unsung character behind the director who's saying, you know, roll cameras, lights up, sound up, and making sure all those other components are are in place um, to to get you know the the film production uh, done. So this is a guy who started as like a production assistant, going to uh, convenience stores and buying hot pockets for electricians on Law and Order, like ten years before he's basically you know, like uh, really responsible for, for running very successful productions. And he had wanted to transition into doing, uh, you know, screenwriting. And Michael Malice gave him, uh, I, th I think Michael Malice gave his entire audience this, this advice, but really went into detail in his presentation in the summit. Um, you know, it's okay to write a crummy first draft. It's okay to shoot for mediocre because that it like, otherwise a lot of people just get stopped. If I can't be great, I won't do anything. So they don't start going through the motions of just trying to do something and, and resigning themselves to the result being okay. I think that having that willingness and having that fearlessness, having that confidence is what actually leads to people being great. So he went into, you know, it was kind of 
totally different than what I expected him to do because what I wanted solely from Michael Malice was tell me how you know, you have the confidence to present in these large public forums, you know, going on Fox News, going on the um, uh, Kennedy or any any of these other places that we've seen Michael Malice on TV. And especially the fact that he talks about like pretty controversial subjects like the new right in North Korea, um, like the stakes are very high. There's a large audience and he's dealing with controversial subjects. And I really wanted him to get into that. But he gave me a lot more with like, how do you get started and not being afraid to just you know, try something even though you might not be great right away. And, you know, I had this really nice story about a really close friend of mine who was motivated and inspired by that advice. So it was great that Michael kind of went deep on explaining what he meant about that. And that's one presentation <laughs> in this whole thing. So that was really awesome. I remember one of the things I think you wanted me to talk about was about doing research and how I do research and how I know this is right and this is wrong. Mm -hmm. And I could talk about that, but I just wasn't sure that was really where my specialty was. That I wasn't sure I had anything particularly unique to say about that. Maybe it would have turned out in retrospect that I did. But you did get a couple people to talk about that particular topic, so I feel a bit better. Yeah. Uh, and but as I said, but I talked about uh, something that's important for us too, which is you're right that of course, especially as libertarians, I find that for some reason we just have a thirst for knowledge, and I don't. I don't really want to ridicule other people, but I do not find that the typical Bernie supporter wants to read books about the monetary system, that, that sort of thing. That's just not, just doesn't correspond to reality. But for some reason, we just have this thirst for knowledge. But the thirst for knowledge is not simply because we need to satisfy ourselves that we understand the world. It's that we want to alert other people. We want to talk to other people. So it's not going to do you any good if you accumulate all this knowledge and it just stays in your head sterile. It's got to get out there and spread. Right. And the way you spread it is by talking, maybe not always in front of a large group, but sometimes you will have that opportunity. Uh, and how can you get their attention and, and, and really do it? So I, you know, I, I think back to my own um, history in public speaking. I didn't have any formal training in it. And in a way, I think that might have been a good thing because sometimes in, in public speaking training, they really – program you to be like a robot, like make this gesture, not that gesture. Make sure you make eye contact with four people. Whatever. I don't do any of that. I don't know what gestures I'm making. I'm not even thinking about it. And I don't make eye contact with anybody. I take my glasses off so I can't, maybe I am making eye contact, but they're so far away from me, I can't see them distinctly. If I look into somebody's eyes, I find that totally distracting. I don't yeah. know how you wouldn't. I find that incredible because maybe the person, maybe somebody's picking his nose. Or somebody is looking on his phone and that's irritating you. Why aren't you listening to my talk? That's just going to throw me off. So I ignore all that, that kind of stuff. And that's not really what people are going to remember anyway. They're not going to say, boy, he really looked me in the eye. They're right. going to remember that you walked out there and you held that audience spellbound for 45 minutes, which is very hard to do. Most speakers are going to bore you to death. How do you do that? And I even talk about how I organize my presentation, how I rec recommend other people organize their presentation. It's a simple model. It's a can't fail kind of way of, of doing it. And I also advise, here's a piece of free advice. I've told this uh, once or twice on this podcast before. Do not start off with a joke. Um, Scott Horton said in a talk one time, Tom Woods says you've got to always start off with a joke. That's the opposite of what I say. Maybe he was trolling me. That is the opposite of what I say. Right. Sometimes you start off with a joke. If you're really in command, you know the joke is going to kill 
But if you're, especially if you're a new speaker, it's a very bad idea because what if the joke bombs? Then your confidence is shattered. The audience doesn't sure, isn't sure how they feel about you because you come off as amateurish. That's actually a much more advanced trick. Uh, no, I give other exam other ways to start. Start off with an anecdote. Start off with a story that draws them in. Right. And then use the story as a springboard for your remarks. The most important thing that you talk about, it's actually, there's an interesting connection here to the, the, the Dave Smith workshop that you wanted to have happen, right? Because I think it was Carlin who said, you know, if you want to tell people the truth, you better make them laugh or they'll kill you. It quotes often yeah. attributed to Carlin. So I think being able to make a connection like that is really important. But another part that is just as important is being in command of of the audience. And I think that, you know, this is a bad habit that I had. I haven't done nearly as much public speaking as you have, but a bad habit that I had in the early days of doing it was going up there and seeking the audience's approval, which is exactly why somebody would start with a joke, right? To get everybody to laugh, to get everybody on their side. And if that doesn't go well, it's a disaster in your own head as the speaker. But to go up there uh, with the intention of being in charge of the room. You're not there seeking the other people's uh, approval. You are there as a leader. So if you go up there and you're fumbling around and you clearly communicate that you are nervous, you make everybody else in that audience basically petrified, right? Yeah. They're stuck. There. It's not like, you know, you can get up and run out um, or at least most people don't feel like they can do that or pull the fire alarm or something. You're stuck there with this person who is leading the room. And if they're not in a good state, nobody's going to be in a good state. So you kind of go into detail about that as well. And that whole day, you know, I broke it up into three parts. So the, the first part is essentially, uh, you know, how to organize your thoughts more effectively. The second part is how to gather the best evidence and information. And then this third part where you appear uh, is making powerful presentations that change hearts and minds. So it's you in your talk on persuasive speaking, excuse me, it's Michael Malice. His presentation is called Building the Confidence to Present in Large Public Forums. And uh, then a guy we both know, uh, you've done his show, uh, um, digital ambition. It was called Kevin Geary. He gave yeah. a presentation called uh, How to Sell an Idea to People You Want to Influence in 10 Steps. People love it when things are broken into steps. So that is like the final segment of this, uh, the, the persuasion part. But people have already heard from, you know, lots of people on, on how to do research, how to properly read a book in the Mortimer Adler fashion. Uh, I, I would like to actually just uh, mention this this presentation that I was really happy with that my friend uh, Scott Hambrick did called How to Read a Book or Anything Else More Effectively. Um, if people are unfamiliar with the Mortimer Adler, How to Read a Book, it actually like makes that process more efficient. I'm sure lots of people in your audience are, are familiar with this, but we take this and we apply it to just about anything that that we could uh, we could consume. So I was like really happy with that presentation as well. But then uh, you know lots of people went into their their research methodology, which was really helpful as well. I'm really happy about this thing because there's so many reasons to be happy about it. Number one, it reminds us of the the technological possibilities we have now. I mean, how would you have done this otherwise? You know, you would have had to fly out to everybody and interview them in person and would have cost a fortune and then put the thing together and how would you have advertised it and how would you have reached people and everything is is different in in really exciting ways now. And that's that's a good thing. But secondly, we're going from raw knowledge to this this deeper level because you can get raw knowledge. You can read articles and, and feel pretty confident about yourself. 
But then, but the the real question is, yeah, but how do I, how do I get people to be excited about it, interested in it, persuaded by it? And one thing is, it's not just a matter of reading articles. How do you know you're reading the right articles? How do you know you're not, you know, uh, listening to a quack? Uh, so there, these are legit questions. And and then again, how do you know that you're presenting what you're learning? in a way that's digestible to people instead of just a, a huge word salad, you know, like you're just vomiting words on people. So this is the step that I think is left out. I think we have it pretty much laid out what the case for what we believe is. In fact, that's why one of the reasons I haven't been eager to write a new book in so many years is that I don't feel like the problem with the libertarian movement is that we lack books. I don't think that's our problem. I totally agree with what you're saying. And uh, if I could just jump on my soapbox for a minute, I don't think the problem is a lack of published books. I think the problem is a lack of skill when it comes to outreach. Um, if we go through social media like Facebook, Twitter, I see a lot of people with my ideas gloating about things. Like when the government does something wrong, there's this kind of like libertarian victory lap that takes place on Facebook. And I don't think gloating is really a good form of outreach. And I think gloating is really only effective when you're gloating at somebody who has the, you know, ability or the willingness to learn from their mistakes. And a lot of political people, especially on the left, don't seem to evidence that. So I, I really think that better connection skills are, are the missing piece. It's that idea that all of these books are published, as you mentioned, and in them there are some heavy, like life-changing ideas. But because of the weight of those ideas, you have to have sturdy bridges to move them across, and that is what has been missing. People take a very hostile uh, approach to the communication of these ideas, and there's, there's certainly a time and a place for that, and there's an entertainment value in that. But when it comes to, I think, like the personal connections, I'm only trying to get people to be more persuasive with the people they care about. But in this summit, we take it all the way to like, how does Tom Woods give a speech in front of thousands of people? How does Michael Malice go on Fox News and talk about these things? How did Kevin Geary build a successful uh, business you know, selling uh, this product or that product. He's He's been successful with a few. Like the, that's the extreme of it, but most people might not take it that far. But if they want to take it that far, the information on how to do it is there. And I think that's really important. I think we need more effective communicators. And that is not about shaming people or being, uh, you know, intellectually superior to people. It's about connecting with people. And I think that's something that, that comes through in this presentation. And it really, like in the entire School Sucks podcast as well, but we've tried to distill it for this. Let me give one more specific example sure. that uh, people might be able to draw from. Let's say I have a book on just a variety of ways that the state uh, harasses ordinary people. And so one of the chapters is going to be SWAT raids on people's houses searching for illegal drugs, something like that. Now, I could start that chapter saying SWAT raids are a very bad thing and they can lead to a lot of unintended consequences. OK, I could start the chapter that way. There's nothing specifically there's nothing wrong with that, but that's a really lousy way to start it. You've got to think a little bit more creatively. How about instead we say um, Joe Schmo had just turned his uh, nightlight out you know, having put his book on the bedside table and was just on his way drifting off to sleep when suddenly he heard a, I mean, that's a much better way to start that that chapter. Yep, absolutely. And and by the way, you'll see that good authors do start their chapters that way. They don't start with something that sounds like an eighth grade book report. 
You know, SWAT raids are a very bad thing in, in our society. No, you give a real live example of one because although you and I like abstract arguments, what draws most people in are stories and real life examples. So you take that way of writing and you put that, incorporate that into your public speaking. You start your talk off with this story. In fact, it might even be better to start your talk off without saying, thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. It's a pleasure to be here. Instead, much more dramatically, you start off by telling the story of, uh, you, know, you know, let's say Paul Robertson and what mm -hmm. happened to him. You start right off with the story that will immediately grab them because they're expecting the initial banter between you and them. So, I mean, this is the way you do it. This is how you stand out from everybody else who will get up there and speak like they're giving a report to their eighth grade class. Right. Here's my thesis. Here are my arguments. Here's my conclusion. No, 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 no. You want to break through to the next level. You got to do something different. Right. Now, let's let's actually translate that from public speaking to just a, a personal interaction you might be having with somebody. I think most people, myself included, I've done it plenty, give into the temptation when, you know, somebody states a differing opinion. You go, oh, that's wrong. That's crazy. What's wrong with you? A, an interesting redirect might just be to launch into a personal story like that that's a counterexample of the general point that they're trying to make. Uh, a very effective redirect uh, that also, like, kind of brings them in and helps them connect to something that they understand instead of just immediately being made to feel like they're wrong, uh, which is going to put a person in a defensive footing and make it much more difficult for that connection to occur, for, for, for them to even listen to you at all. So I really, I think that's effective in public speaking, but I think it's also an effective technique when you're doing like a one-on-one -on -one or a group conversation, or when you find somebody who is particularly obstinate and they are not going to change their mind, but it's a group setting, that would be a place where I say it is permissible to, to make an example of them, as we often might do on, on social media. I know we've talked about this before as well. All right. Well, I couldn't agree more, of course, since you're riffing on my <laughs> point. So I agree with it completely. <laughs> um, let's tell people how they can get this Ideas Into Action Summit. I have a nice redirect link, which I always do when I, I just don't want... I, people expect tomwoods.com slash something. That's just, you know, I've programmed them to think that way. And so why, why change something that works? So I've got this link to over at tomwoods.com slash ideas because it is called the Ideas Into Action Summit. And I even have, so that's one thing people expect, tomwoods.com slash something. In this case, it's slash ideas. But what do they also expect? They expect that Woods promo code, right? That's what they expect. Yes. They expect, they type in Woods. I have people who listen to this show who no matter where they're shopping, they type in Woods just in case. <laughs> you never right, know, what right. could it hurt, right? It's going to take them three seconds to try it out. So you type in Woods, you actually get 30% off the Ideas Into Action Summit. So that's at tomwoods.com slash ideas. Uh, give me some parting thoughts before we wrap up for today. Sure. I just wanted to run through a few of the other presenters that we oh, did. Oh, please do. Uh, we might have mentioned them in name, but um, Steve Patterson gives a presentation called The Mindset and Method of Curiosity. He's the host of Patterson in Pursuit. He's the author of a book called uh, Square One Foundations and Knowledge. Uh, Scott Hambrick, who is the host of a fantastic podcast called Online Great Books. It's actually like a, an online reading group. So they're they're taking these like living room book clubs that do the great books of the Western world. They've, they've put it online, but they actually also do this really entertaining podcast where they go through a bunch of material that's, uh, you know, 
not in the Western canon. And they discuss whether or not it should be. And they have a lot of fun with like a lot of books that people should be familiar with, like Propaganda by Edward Bernays, The Medium is the Massage by Marshall McLuhan, uh, and a lot of more mainstream books like uh, Walden. And they do a lot of uh, essays and stuff as well. That's online great books. Zach Slayback, one of the uh, founders of Praxis, and he uh, does a presentation called Set Yourself Up for Success with Any New Learning Pursuit. All that happens on day one. Zach is actually the first presenter. Uh, Richard Grove, who built a really interesting like professional development course called Autonomy, gives a presentation called Behind the Scenes of Selling a Life-Changing Information Product. Uh, professor CJ from the Dangerous History, libertarian historian, college professor, how to do research like a guerrilla scholar warrior. And of course, uh, on the final day, which will actually be March 28th, Kevin Geary, Michael Malice, Tom Woods, each with their take on on persuasion. And there's a few that I didn't mention, uh, but I think there's, there's 11 presentations total. There are a series of Q&As. I'm going to be adding new Q&As. I will, uh, you know, people can, people can go and they can put in the coupon code Woods. They can knock 30% off this and they can have access to everything immediately and they can go through it on their own. But also on March 14th, March 21st, and March 28th, that's three consecutive Saturdays for a period about six hours each day, I will kind of be disc jockeying the presentations and engaging people in a Discord chat. I'm going to try and get a couple of presenters to come back and do uh, Q&As. That was uh, really successful on the first run. We ran this at the end of last year just for a small group of School Sucks listeners so I could uh, you know, collect positive testimonials and all that. Uh, so that's happening this month. Uh, people can jump in whenever they want and, uh, you know, I'll make sure they're, they're updated on, on what's happening, but to learn more, the link is tomwoods.com slash ideas. And that coupon code is woods to save 30%. All right. Very good. Well, Brett, I'm always glad to be in contact with you and to hear about what you're doing Jeez, the stuff you're doing with your podcast and this whole project of yours, it's it's great. You, you really are a model. You make me want to step up my game when I hear the diversity of things you're doing. So I appreciate <laughs> the motivation and the hard work. Thanks a lot. My pleasure, Tom. Thank you so much for saying that. It was great to talk to you as well. All right, folks, before I let you go, here's another site that one of my listeners started. And if you're a Catholic, you'll understand the, the need for this site. It's Reverend catholicmass.com. Now, if you've had to endure a typical parish liturgy over the past, uh, well, let's be honest, half century, you know why this is necessary. Right? You'd like to go somewhere where there aren't felt banners or where the music isn't emasculating 1970s pap or whatever. And he's compiled a list of places where you can go and not be offended, not in the, you know, stupid sense of the word offended, but I mean like as a cultured, civilized person, you can actually go and be enriched. So reverendcatholicmass.com is the site. And in addition to this catalog of locations, uh, he also has a blog that is going to be highlighting things like architecture, education, travel, thought, spirituality, history, commentary on current affairs, and so on. And if you want to add a church to the list, you'll find how to do that on the site as well. So reverendcatholicmass.com. I'll link to that at tomwoods.com slash 1608, our show notes page for today. And of course, one of your projects can be to start your own site 
because you don't have to worry. No one's going to visit my site. Woe is me because all woods here will attract people to your site. But you got to get your hosting through my link and then you get a great deal on hosting, get the publicity for me, get membership in my mutual help bloggers group and other great bonuses that'll help you a lot. So get the details about that at tomwoods.com slash publicity. Tomorrow, Gareth Porter returns to the show. He's got a brand new book on Iran and how Iran became the big enemy. So we're gonna talk about that tomorrow. See you then. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit TomWoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time. Like the sound of The Tom Woods Show? My audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at Podsworth.com.